turning to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And I want you to keep your Bibles open. And I want you to ask the Lord to speak into your heart tonight. Chapter 16 of Genesis and the verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And as we read these verses, I want you to just note the number of times Hagar's mentioned. At least six. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me, or shut up my womb, from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Let me stop a wee moment and say this. There's no man apart from Adam that hearkened unto the voice of his wife that made a more disastrous choice than that of Abraham made here by obeying the voice of Sarah. Verse 3, And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. I want you to notice too that many times the word conceived once would do nearly, you'd think. And he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, to do her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. The angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, 
that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Be'lahura. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram's son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old, when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. We know that the Lord will bless to us the reading of his word. The first mention of any doctrine, any truth, any prophecy that we find in the word of God is worthy of very, very special attention and need to be scrutinized very well. The old scholars called it the law of first mention, the law of first mention. In this chapter here, which deals with a maid, a mistress, and a man, we have at least five first mentions. And also when you get the first mention in Genesis, it adds extra need to scrutinize it well. Genesis being the book of the beginnings. We have the most important one probably here mentioned four times the angel of the Lord. That's the first time that you'll get the angel of the Lord mentioned in the word of God. And when you consider who was the first to have this, because these are theophanies or Christophanies, where the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form appeared to different people at different times through the Old Testament and the scores of them. He's the pre-incarnated, divine, uncreated Son of God. He's appearing here 4,000 years before he came in the incarnation. And as he moved up and down the people in the New Testament, in his incarnate state, as he moved up and down here and there, moving the people, appearing here and appearing there and doing this and doing there, he'd done the very same thing in the Old Testament scriptures. He moved in and out through different places and appeared to different people. Always you'll have these theophanies, these Christophanies, when someone's down deep in a valley. That's why I've chosen this as a subject. Someone that's in a crisis 
situation in their life, just like here, just like this first one. He appears in the time and in the hour of need. So the first mention here of theophany, that's the first one. There's also the first mention of the well in verse 14. Now that's very interesting. And it's a tremendous study when you study the wells and what they mean in Scripture. And then you have the first mention of a fountain. You see, a well's no good without a spring. A well's no good. It'll dry up. We had an old well down there in Praman and it dried up and sucked dirt up. and There wasn't enough water to keep the thing going. But the, you need the spring. You need the fountain. So we have the first mention of a well and we have the most mention of a fountain. And we have the first mention of a dysfunctional home in the word of God. Was it Lady Diana said one time that a marriage is overcrowded when there's three in it? Well, there's three here and there'll soon be five and it'll be worse. Also, we have the first sign or mention of surrogate motherhood. Children by proxy. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. Some years ago, I did a series here on less known women of the Bible. And I took Jochebed, Moses' mother, as one. She was the first woman to receive a state family allowance to raise her child. King Pharaoh's daughter said, nurse, and I will give you the wages. Nurse the child. Moses, poor daughter, his son, I'll give you the wages. So there's nothing new under the sun. In this dark valley experience tonight, we are looking at a young girl in her early 20s probably, who is the victim of physical, mental, sexual and spiritual abuse, a stranger in a foreign land. Even with the given culture of this day, where slaves were only chattels, she was shamefully and inexcusably and pathetically treated in a home whose head was a friend of God the friend of God. The father of the faithful. In this tent dwelled a man and his wife who knew God, who had the call of God, who knew the blessings of God, who inherited the covenant promises of God. But alas, that he that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. So get your eyes in chapter 16 and verse 1. And Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. But God had told them, you know, ten years before that, that they would. 
that there would be an heir, an heir, an heir born, and he'd come forth from Abram's own bowels. And he would, he brought him out under the stars and he showed him uh, the, 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 that will, those that will come from him will be as numberless as the stars of the sky. So shall thy seed be. And if you glance your eyes at chapter 15 and verse 6, here's what he said. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Can I say that one of the great messages that needs to be preached today to the children of God is a message of patience. Waiting on God. He has to wait another 14 years. 24 years. But then God always keeps his promise. And we can tinker and fiddle about and work it out, but he'll keep his promise. You see, God's time scales are off the picture as far as we're concerned. There's deeper depths and there's higher heights than we can ever imagine when we come to dealing with the eternal God. For the heavens, as the heavens is higher than the earth, so my way is higher than your way. Sometimes, and I'm preaching from experience, sometimes God gives us promises for something that we dearly want and desperately yearn for. And I know that there are those of you here tonight and there's, you have promises and you're desperately claiming God for them, but they're not just happening as quick as you may think. And sometimes he drops a word to us in our quiet time in a meeting like this or some other meeting. And uh, he reinforces that promise that we've got some time back again. And now and again he would reinforce it. But most times he drops the promises to us and he withdraws. And he watches. And he waits to see how we handle it. And how we live in the light of it. That's what we call a testing trying times. The old saints used to talk about being shut up to faith. Now the only time I'm going to ask you to turn tonight to the other scriptures is now, I want you to turn to Psalm 37. I think I should do this because so we read the scriptures so quickly and we powered it off and it's not a great thing to, well, I was going to say it's not a great thing to know the scriptures too well, but it is a great thing. But we need to be very careful that it just doesn't become poetry to us. Psalm 37. Now, what's, what's this psalm here? Verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Well, we don't have much problem with that. Do we sing trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy? Trust in the Lord. Oh, aye, we're all trusting the Lord. Verse 4. Delight thyself in the Lord. Now, this is coming in order by the Holy Spirit. 
I'm saying to you this this night, trust in the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Ah, but the four letters over, words over. Wait patiently for him. Verse 9, wait upon him. Verse 34, wait on him. Three times. Three times. Doesn't mention any of the rest of them three times. Three times. He says, wait. Wait. On the Lord. You see, Abraham and Sarah were biologically and physically physically impossible to have a child. So in order to try and get out of the dilemma, they turned to Hagar. She's there. She's an idolater. From Egypt. She's a slave. She has the curse of the sons of Ham upon her that was given to Noah. Noah. She's a rank heathen. Steeped in the Egyptian goddess, gods and goddesses. They all were. Listen to what I'm going to say now. You not ever have too far to go to get out of the will of God to find a vehicle or something or someone to take you out. Now listen to what I'm saying. The devil will make sure that there's always something close at hand. You could get no closer than this. Jonah hadn't that far to go to Joppa and to get the boat. Boy, the boat was ready. David hadn't very far to go when he lay in bed the evening time just to the window. That's as far as he had to go. Peter hadn't very far to go when he denied the Lord. He was in the very courtyard where the fire was. The enemy will always make sure that there's something near at hand. The life of faith which we are supposed to be walking and living is a life of testings and trials and tribulations. There are high hills and mountain tops, but there's low valleys too. And you can't have one without the other. You see, Abram was tested in three ways. He was tested, first of all, with his family. Many of those of you who are married and have children know that you'll be tested with the family if you're not before long. He was tested with Terah, his father, who he should have left behind and who delayed and held up the whole shooting gallery for so many years. 
He was tested by Lot who time and time again who had to go and rescue at one time when he was taken hostage. He was tested by Isaac severely, powerfully by God. He was tested in the family and he was tested in the famine. Remember he came out and there was a famine in the land and he went down into Egypt. Instead of standing his ground, he went down into Egypt and tinkered about and told lies and brought this girl back with him. And he should have never been there. The father of the faithful, the man of God, and God told him where to go and just keep going. But we can go off path very handy. But he has to wait. But they're not waiting. You see, not only have you a domestical scene here and a carnal scene and a shameful scene, but there's something, and I have searched commentators and very few of them I, that seem to all miss this. There's a satanical scene here. Satan is after the seed. And he's after the saints. And he's after the Savior. It's from the seed of Isaac the Savior will come. Not this boy that's going to be conceived in a minute here. Ishmael is a type of the flesh, the law. Galatians says his gender is unto bondage and strife, but Isaac is the father of the faithful. He's the child of the promise. He's from the line. The Messiah will come, and the devil knows that. And he knew it away in the back in the garden too. So don't rule out Satan here. And don't you rule out Satan in any diversion in your life. That's not of God. For he'll always have a way out for you. To damn you, to destroy you, to backslide you, to do what he wants. You see, he attacks the weakest. He came through Sarah, the woman. He repeats always Satan. Satan has no really new tune, you know. He keeps playing the old tune because it works. He plays the same tune as he did in the Garden of Eden. He pits the woman against the man. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. That's what he did with Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel stirred him up. Moses and Miriam. David and Bathsheba. John the Baptist and Salome. And Abraham and Sarah. He attacks to the weakest vessel. 
Instead of waiting by faith, they succumbed and surrendered to the lusts of the flesh and the devil. And the result was catastrophic. A child was born that brought endless strife. And all across the Middle East is bringing endless strife tonight. From this boy and this moment of foolishness, Islam was born. Muslims were born. Muhammad, the Palestinians, the Taliban, the Al-Shabaab, the Al-Qaeda. Do you want me to go on? And Israel's greatest enemy is the Palestinians. Oh, I tell you one minute of a wrong move can bring terrible disaster and we know that from the Garden of Eden. Beguiled and coerced by the devil, pushed by Sarah, this man made a colossal blunder that has reverberated to this very day. You know, God told the children of Israel, the descendants of Abram, that they'd be afflicted for 400 years in a strange land. I'm trying to get over to you tonight that this impatience, this impetuosity, this not waiting on God can cause great trouble. Moses, 360 years had lapsed when Moses thought he was going to do it and deliver them. And he's killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. But God had to send him to the back of beyond for 40 years to teach him and to train him that he wasn't ready. He had to show him all that great terrain where he would have to take the people through later on. He had a training session for 40 years. God knows what he's doing. And then when he came, when God came to ask him to go, he didn't want to go. Who am I that you would send me? Oh, he was already 40 years before. Not now. That's when he had to say, I am that I am. It has to be God, you see. It has to be God. Samuel told Saul to wait seven days. He waited seven days, almost to the last hour of the seventh day, and then he moved, and he lost the kingdom. And Peter in Gethsemane's garden, when the Lord had told them time and time again that the battle would not be won by fighting and with swords and with spears, the battle is the Lord's, it will be won through Calvary, didn't he draw the sword and clip the ear of the high priest's servant? Time to do God's work. God is a big time, you know, sticking on ears that we cut off. Oh, might we hear his voice. And here, this is the way, walk you in it. Look at verse 2 again. She was restrained, closed up or shut up. No fruit, no blessing. Let us try something else. 
Now I'm not going to get this finished tonight. No, I'm not going to try. But I'm going to bring her down into the valley and I'm going to bring her up out of it next week in some style. Let's get a life for ourselves, Abram. This is not working. There's nothing happening. Why, why sit we here until we die? Look at the age we are. There's no fruit and there's no blessing. Look at the others. They're not restrained or shut up. Their houses are full of children. Look at the other churches. Look at the other people. Look at the prosperity. Psalm 73. But as for me, he says, my feet were almost gone and my steps were well nigh slipped. That's what they're saying. Ten years and not a mute. Ten years and not a mute. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, the psalmist says, until he went into the sanctuary. When he went into the sanctuary. This is where these pair need to go. They need to get down before God in the sanctuary and claim the promise. Just on a personal note regarding the fellowship here. Many times in this assembly in the past 34 years, people have got tired, fed up, waiting. They come in and they hear promises that I can, but remember these promises are mine, they're not yours. You get your own promise. And sometimes, some, some, some way I think they come and they get in behind you on the promise, the hill, the river, the valley. God's going to revive. He's going to bring blessing. We're going to be part of it. We're going to be in it. But oh, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. After a few years here, the whole place was desert. The whole place was, was, was in turmoil. After 10 years here, we lost from 100 to 15 in one night. Oh, where's the promises now? <laughs> And then again, another uh, schism and friction here when there was a scattering match when we were starting to build this new... Where's the promises now, Bert? I have not only heard it from the devil, but I've heard it from men and women over 34 years. Oh, it's not working out. There's nothing happening. This boy's talking about revival. And he's talking about promise. He's talking about, we'll, we'll find another Hager. Aye. Boy, there's plenty of Hagers out there. We'll find, a, we'll find a Hager and we'll not be restricted to being tongued about coming to prayer meetings or coming round the Lord's table or the way we dress or anything else. We, 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 will, we will get somewhere where there's no constitution and where the constitution doesn't mean very much. Any. We'll find another place. That is a fact. Drop your standards. Attract the young people. Sing more. Preach less. Change your constitution. No. 
change your constitution to let people in. No, they need to change. Not us. Join up with others where, where there's tags and there's names and there's denominations and all the rest. No, no, no. A, t- a thousand times no. We must obey God. We're to hold tight earnestly and contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Paul says at the end of his journey, only Luke is with me. And he went on to Rome to be beheaded. It was said of Jesus, it said of Jesus that many forsook him and fled. And many walked no more with him. And he said to his disciples, do you want to go too? Boys, they had diverted the cross, let me tell you. They had to cut the tripe out of the redemption and atonement and the blood and the crown. Boy, they would. He set his face as a flint. There's no turning back and there's no turning back. We must stand firm on the promises that God has given us and the beliefs and the doctrines that God has given us. We must stand firm should the whole things come down. They said of Athanasius, Athanasius, that old saint of God, they said the whole world is against you, Athanasius. Well, you go and tell them Athanasius is against the whole world. Boys, if ever we needed men like Luther and Whitfield and Wesley's and Swingley's, We must not capitulate to the voice of a Sarah, whether it's in the home or out of the home or anywhere else. Now, when Hagar saw that she was with child, she taunted and she mocked. Verse 5, And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon Whenever she saw that she was with child, she, she, she mocked Sarah. When she saw that she had conceived, she's not blameless by any means, and I'm not saying that she is. And then Sarah, she retracted what she had done, and she blamed Abraham. You read that for yourself. You see, we always need somebody to blame. But, 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 but Abram wouldn't have anything to do. He says, she's in your hands. You do whatever you want with her. You see, it's very easy to make, easy to make a decision, a spur-of-the-moment decision, and something that seems good, and let it happen. But after it's, go, after it's over then, oh, what did I do that for? And that's what happened here. That's what happened here. Now look at verse 6, for I don't really know what happened because we're not told. But we're told enough from one word. And Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand to do as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Now, we're not told what she's done, but we are told in one sense from this word. This is an overcharged word. It means to browbeat. It means to humiliate. 
It means to oppress. There's one rendering of it that means to shout. And sometimes physical. Now whatever went on in that tent, I don't know what went on. I don't know, but I know from this word that there's tension in the tent. That there's trouble in the home. That there's rows and fightings going on. We don't know what all went on. One move out of the will of God can wreck your home and your family forever. And I would say to some of you who are not in speaking terms with your families, and I know that there's some of you not, you need to get there. You need to get things right in your home. And you need to reap, oh, but it's not my fault. That's pride. It wasn't the Lord's fault either that he went to the cross. This was disastrous. She fled. Do you know that she might have fled a hundred miles? She was reckoned to be over 20-something. Pregnant. A single mother, wounded, abused, betrayed. She heads through the blazing, blistering sun and weeps her way to the wilderness, to the place called Haram, or Shur, on the mountain of Shur, the rocky mountain. I got a map out this evening, and I traced her footsteps. She had to go way down round the Sinai Peninsula. She had to go right across Kadesh Barnea. She had to cross the Jordan. Fleeing. What's she going to tell her family when she goes home? Hmm? What's she going to tell her family and her friends when she goes home? Oh, you're, you're pregnant. Yeah. What's she going to tell the idolaters of Egypt? She's going to tell them, yes, I was in a home of God's people. You think that's a testament? Abraham, the father of the faithful, the mighty man who left the earth of Chaldees, the man who dwelt in tents, the great and mighty friend of God. This is reality. What's she going to say? What's she going to say? There's not one sign or trace of either of them following her. Did they try to put it out of their mind? 
Did someone come to the house to visit Abraham and Sarah and say, where's Hagar? Oh, she's away to visit her mother. That wouldn't surprise me. Oh, she's away down for a holiday back home. She has more sense and more insight. She's the only woman in the Bible to give God a name. Thou God, omniscient God, seest me. He was watching. Boy, I tell you, he was watching. And he watched the tears, and he watched the struggles, and he watched the fears, and how she was going to go home, and all those long journeying miles in the sun, and against all odds and past some of them places were not good places to pass. And here's this wee girl going on her own, her heart beating. But he saw her. I tell you, he saw her. And he's, the first theophany was not to Elijah, was not to Moses, was not to Caleb, was not to Isaiah. It was to a poor sinner and going on her way across the border as it were to hell. That's who it was to. He saw her. And he met her by a well and by a fountain. That's all for next week. And he sent her back. You would ask why he sent her back. Will you come next week? There's more in her than they had. And sometimes the world is far more than the believers anyway. Cover up much. I'll tell you the whole covering up has to stop if there's going to be revival. We're going to see blessing. The covering up will have to stop. If we're going to see blessing, you need to put it right with your brother, your mother, your father. You need to put it right or else don't come near the meetings. Holy Spirit cannot be grieved. Oh, how, how foolish. I was listening to a man, I don't listen very much to other preachers, but there's a man that I listen to in odd time, and I always enjoyed him for he had fresh stuff. But I've quit listening to him. And I'll tell you why. He was given an illustration along these lines that I'm talking about tonight. And he said he, he, he was greatly overweight this morning. And he got into this plane to go on a preaching tour and tracts and Bibles and all with him. And when he went in, there was a plane, there was a smaller plane than was used to, and he said to the air hostess, he says, those seats are very small. You know what you said to him? Would do you to lose a wee bit of weight? Ho, ho, you don't like that? He turned to her and he said, I 
guarantee, this is he told me, I guarantee that your mother kept no photographs of you as a child for you're so ugly look. It was well going now. Going to preach. And one word bird another and the commotion got up and the, all the people in the wee plane heard. Now if he'd have said he went and he'd have repented and he asked that he was sorry and wept and cried and all, that would have been all right. But he didn't. You know what he said when I was going out? I give her a track. That track seemed to be a panacea for nearly every year. Give her a track. God help us. What did she say when she went home? Man with her. Man with a Bible. And here's this girl. Lonely, fearful. Pregnant, abused. It wasn't her fault. She was a slave. She had to do her bidding. But the Lord found her. Boy, he found her. And he found me. And he found you. 